One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, welcoming. Well, that looks peaky, doesn't it? <laughs> Did anyone just hear Kate whisper? What does peaky? What does peaky mean? What I mean is the 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 sound. The microphone was peaking when I spoke. Although weirdly, it's not now. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. It's Pride Month. I'm in the car because that's where we live, isn't it, Kate? It is. Um, we've got a little. We've built a little bedroom in here. We've got a sink. We've got a dishwasher. A little camping stove. We don't really. Um, Kate, any news? Any exciting news for me? Uh, special reveal. I have found a way to get our hands on a Bunnings T-shirt. <gasps> now, okay, let me give it some context. So, Bunnings is the Australian equivalent of being cute. And for the long-time listener will know, I love a being cute. It's my meditation. Um, I go around, I buy some, buy some hinges, buy some screws. Normally, I'm trying to solve a little problem, a little DIY problem I've got at home, but then it sort of changes into something else, and I just sort of start picking things up off the shelves. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know that I want it um, because it's I don't know, it's soothing. Anyway. Um, Bunnings here, I noticed, because I saw a guy wearing, they have T-shirts, so you can get a Bunnings T-shirt. Um, but then, me and Kate were talking, and it turns out you can only really... So what is it? You can only really get them if you work at Bunnings, obviously. If you're a tradesperson, you can get one from the trades desk occasionally, but they're, they're rare, apparently. So, but of course, Kate is very well connected, so you've managed to swing some somethings, right? Well, I have discovered that this Friday morning we have a special sausage sizzle where they will be giving away Bunnings shirts. Grown Bunnings shirts. What? They're growing them. Um, <laughs> sausage sizzle, what's that? Oh, don't you have that? Oh, it's a, it's a whole part of the Bunnings experience. You've got to have a really rank sausage sandwich when you go and you donate to charity. We have sausage sizzles. Oh, uh, well, no, because it rains where I'm from, so we can't do that um, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's sunny here. Um... So, when you're filming, you have to do a thing called a wrap party at the end, where you have a little party to say, wait, we finished filming. Why didn't we all go to the sausage sizzle? <laughs> a Bunnings sausage sizzle wrap party would be very Australian, very Australia. Wouldn't it be great? And so the Bunnings hat, for people, also long-time listeners will know, I've spoken about the Bunnings hat before. So it's this, like, $5, which is £2.50 roughly, straw hat, 
but loads of famous celebrities wear them for some reason. So they've become a thing. Isn't that true? Well, I think it's uh, it's it's a, a badge of honour to have a Bunnings hat in Australia. And it's why a very is special that? thing. Um, because it's where we spend the majority of our weekends. Is it the same in the UK? In Bunnings? Yeah. I like to spend a good chunk either in DIY stores like Bunnings, ours would be B&Q, home-based, no thanks, unless they want to sponsor us, um, and, or a garden centre. Well, see, that's the wonderful thing about Bunnings. It's a garden centre and a hardware store. Shut up. Yep. You can get fed, you can get your plants, you can get your timber. We're all about it. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Not, it's not uncommon to see a handsome man in there. Uh, I would say not uncommon. That's why I spend so much time. (laughs) With a lasso. Um, So... That's today's excitement. What could match up to such excitement? I can tell you what. Bloody Wes Streeting. We've got Wes Streeting on the show today. Wes Streeting is the Shadow Health Secretary and Labour MP. I have been following his career for a while because um, he's really interesting. He, uh, if I had to sort of summarise quickly about Wes Streeting, is he's probably... Um, he's very outspoken and I like the fact that he is quite pragmatic about how Labour get into power. Some of the people on the left don't like that. But he is quite um, of the opinion that, you know, you kind of got to compromise in order to get power because he says that Jeremy Corbyn had an amazing manifesto, previous guest on this podcast, please see the feed to listen. Um, But he didn't get into power. The people told him, them, Labour, what they thought of the manifesto and with their, they voted with their feet and um, there was a huge Tory win. So Wes is of the opinion, if you want to create change, um, you know, you need to try and create a manifesto that people vote for. Anyway, um, he's got a new memoir out because the man has had the most incredible life. It's called One Boy, Two Bills and a Fry Up, a memoir of growing up and getting on. So in the title, One Boy is Wes. Two Bills are his two grandparents. One of them was like a East End gangster. Uh, the other Bill was kind of actually quite a right-wing Tory supporter. Uh, so that's really interesting context for Bill, Bill for Wes growing up. And the Fry Up, the Fry Up is an incredible story about to do with his mum and why Wes was born. I'm going to leave that bit to later in the interview because we talk about it. His story is amazing. You know, he grew up in a council estate in Stepney. He ended up at Cambridge University. He's someone who really believes in trying to create opportunity for people to have better lives than they get given um, at the outset. And I just really, really enjoy his company. He's very clever. He's very funny. For example, here's an example of him being completely plain speaking. We dial into the Zoom. The first thing he says to me is, I'm really hungover. I mean, how many people, how many MPs would say that to you? No? Kate's smiling. Anyway, so if you want to get in touch about this episode, it's hello at homosapienspodcast.com or, or on Instagram at homosapiens. I'm going to pause the recording because I'm slightly worried it's peaking and that would be fucking awful. So before we go to Wes, let's just talk about, let's talk about all your messages regarding our interview with Dan and Ollie from I Kissed a Boy, the gay dating show. Um, it's fair to say we went viral. We put up a clip. We put up the clip about Dan and Ollie, and Ollie specifically talking about cruising. And it got so many views and so many people arguing in the comments. Isn't it funny that today the uh, sign of something going viral is basically if people start slanging each other off in the comments? Like, there was this massive row going on between a few people. 
I'm naming no names, but it got very, I mean, I was gripped. Um, I'm always reading those comments, people. Uh, so talking about what it is to whether, what, what we all think of cruising. So we're going to do a whole episode on cruising because it's really got under everybody's skin. Let us know if you have anything to say about that. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or at homosapiens on Instagram. Um, have you ever been cruising, Kate? Uh, I refuse to comment on the grounds I may incriminate myself. <laughs> do, do, do gay women go cruising? I know you're not a gay woman, but it's a question. Do gay women go cruising? I don't know. Can someone please answer the question? If as ever, here to be enlightened. Now, let's have a look at an email. Hello, hello. July, July? No, it doesn't say July anyway. It's just listening to your latest podcast with Dan and Ollie, which is hope hugely enjoyable. Enjoyable. I've lost the power of speech. What an amazing show. I was really struck by the huge difference between the interactions between the boys on I Kissed a Boy and those on Love Island. The gays came across as head and shoulders above their straight rivals in terms of emotional maturity and attitudes towards sex. Would love to have heard you discussing this, but maybe that's another podcast. Oh, yeah. Wonderful podcast. So great you're putting this out there. Love, James. James, thank you. Thank you for writing love. How sweet. Um, yeah, they are. Their interactions were so much better than the boys on Love Island. Because, this is what I think, difficulty in your life in any area uh, that you can't share with people um, means that you think about it a lot. And by thinking about it a lot, I feel it forces you to work out a lot of your perspective on it and those boys on Love Island not to criticise any of them because um, it's the world in which we live that raises them it's nothing nothing to do with them specifically um, they you know they don't have to think it through they can just walk into a nightclub and pull someone and they don't have to think about it whereas we all had to sit in our bedrooms staring at pictures of James Franco or you know naming no names moi so Thank you for your message. Um, well being with Poppy said, listened today to the chat with Ollie. Loved it. Ollie, you're a natural, inspiring and funny. The sky's the limit. Couldn't agree more. Ollie is so unapologetically genuine. Loved him. Wade65 said, haha, I remember starting out using gay for gaydar before apps even existed. Put in your postcode and hope for the best. <gasps> oh my God, gaydar. I had a gaydar profile. Um... Georgia Lee, 9254. Yes, Ollie, there are app sites for every sexuality. People are only talking about cruising because of, of I Kissed a Boy. I thought it well overdue. I'm so happy for you and Dan. Oh, my God. Going back to um, Gaydar, I remember me and my friend used to use it. And we were both, I think we were both out. One of us was in, one of us was out. I can't remember. Um, and there was a profile on there. And I remember we were obsessed with this guy. He was called ANF Lad. And I think it stood for a nice fit lad. And it was back in the day where it really was so secretive to be gay. If anyone knows, if anyone else remembers ANF lad, we were in Bournemouth. Um, that was, we all we used to talk about was him. I don't even know if we ever saw a photo. I mean, how sad are we? Um, did you ever do any internet dating, Kate? Uh, I've tried it once. Um, not for me, I'm going to say. Oh, why? I think I'm a bit old-fashioned. I'm, I'm looking for a, a meet-cute, not a swipe. Ah, I like that. Not a swipe-cute. Not a swipe-cute. Um, because you're an old romantic? Yes, I think... Uh, I believe in fate. I think I believe in fate. And I'm not going to tell you what I got bombarded with the one time I did go on dating websites. Well, as a, as a woman, 
It's dick pics, right? Correct. Not cool. Um, not cool at all. And no one ever sends me dick pics. <laughs> Literally never. I, you know, I, I would like the name first, maybe, at least. Yeah. You know? God's sake, buy That's me a just drink. Me. Yeah. Just me. Just buy me a drink first and then we can have a go. <laughs> um, from dick pics to potentially the next prime minister, here is our lovely chat with Wes Streeting. Hi, Wes. How are you? I'm really good. I'm very pleased to see you. How are you? Good. I'm, 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 if, if I'm perfectly honest, I'm very hungover. I was at a wedding last night near Rye, so I'm coming to you live from this um, hotel room on, on a campsite, very hungover, um, which is probably fa- fairly representative for a Sunday morning. So, uh, how, did you, so how did you secure the hotel room? Or have you, did you have to sleep in a tent, but you've borrowed this for the podcast? No, so basically, the, the, it's like we're staying on this. Well, I was a bit terrified because we're staying in this place called um, I think it's called the Hare and Hound. Which, in my mind, I didn't book it; my partner did, and it conjures up this kind of view of like an inn, like you know, room above a pub. We've stayed in lots of very nice ones of those, and then as we turned in, I, I saw it was a campsite, and I thought, <laughs> if we are sleeping in a tent, Joe is going to be sleeping in the ground, not on the ground. Like I'm not <laughs> camping is not for me. I could do glamping that 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 is appealing but the last time i spent a night in a tent was at the reading festival and i have no desire to relive (laughs) that experience so reading's a bloodbath as well that's a that's you know the gates of hell stuff oh it was awful i mean like i mean i i was i was um kind of volunteering with the workers beer festival so i was working behind the bar and um and so we stayed on like the, the camp like the workers campsite which was which was nicer um, I wouldn't say nice. It was nicer than the general uh, campsite, but it did mean like having to walk back through the general campsite. And on the last night, I, I like because Kings of Leon played that year, so there were just these tents on fire and people singing, you know, your tent is on fire. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, oh god, like, this is my idea of hell. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, where did you sleep though? To last night. Oh, so I slept in this room. So it was a very long way of answering a right. very simple question. <laughs> no, no, I loved all of it. Yeah, I slept in this room. Yeah, so no, there, there are rooms on this campsite. And it's, re- it's actually lovely. It's a really, really nice place. Okay, so you posted a photo to Instagram of you. What were you drinking? It was some drink. And I was like, oh, we're talking really early. Yeah, es- espresso daiquiris. They are, they are, I- I've never, I never heard of them before. I've heard of espresso martini, yeah. but oh, they are lethal. Uh but very What's good because um, I have no idea, but it tasted <laughs> really, really good. Tasted, and also because we were there all day, and it was like I mean, it was it was a beautiful day for it. But like the weather was scorching, and um, but it sort of got to that point in the day where, or in the evening, where you know when you sort of you you've kind of got drunk tiredness, and yes. so I needed that kick of espresso. And yeah. I can't remember how many of them I had. So I actually woke up this morning not feeling as terrible as I probably would have done if I hadn't had all of the sugar and caffeine of those espresso daiquiris. Really? That is the one thing that absolutely kills me for a hangover if I have like an espresso martini. It's like, I, I just can't move. Actually, that and if I have a cigarette, I'll be honest. <laughs> That's when it's all over and I'm like, I just can eat pizza in bed. That's it. 
Um, yeah. So was this a gay wedding? It was, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, our friend Steve and Tim. Uh, yeah, it was really, oh, it was lovely, really, really lovely so wedding. Lovely, really nice. And was it like a big old shindig? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. They, they did it really, really beautifully. It was because the weather was great. It was outside. Um, uh, you know, they got a couple of friends doing some readings, which were like really personal poems, which you know had people crying. They had a friend who can play the violin. She she was doing like really beautiful music. So it was really nice. They arrived actually arrived in a tractor. It's probably the best wedding entrance I have seen. Um, they arrived um, on a tractor, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then and then it was just kind of a day of sort of eating, drinking, and merriment. So it was very oh, good. Oh, that's so nice. But are you getting married as well? You're engaged, right? Oh, eventually, eventually. This is like, this is the kind of eternal question that Joe and I get. When are you getting married? When's the date? Yeah, we, we've been engaged for years, oh, right. like the longest engagement ever. I keep on calling it Joe's probation period. Um, <laughs> but we are, at some point, like the difficulty is juggling work and, you know, the never-ending stream of general elections that I've seemed to have had in the last eight years. Um <laughs> house because we we bought a house together and we lived there for nearly five years but it's a, it, it needed a bit of doing upping when we moved in it's now in a state where like we, we like we have to do stuff to it like it's the, the bathroom needs redoing the kitchen needs redoing so and then juggling juggling you know the expense of redoing kitchens and bathrooms and and a wedding is just yeah exactly it's a sequencing like, I've, I've got to rent a tractor to Keep one upmanship on my friends to arrive. Absolutely, at this yeah. No, we need to think about the arrivals now. But, but so, who out of the two of you is um, <laughs> whose fault is this? Is what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. Who's the organised one? Who's the disorganised one? Well, this is the trouble in our relationship: is that neither of us. I mean, professionally, I'm very well organised, but personally, like my my all of my organisational skills go into work, which means. I'm probably am the, the the more organised of the two of us when I get my backside in gear, but you know it's not really not ideal. I, I feel like I was missold because um, I always thought Joe was the the organised, sensible, sensible one. And over the last oh, you know twelve years that we've been together, um, I've, it's kind of dawned on me that you know unfortunately we are two alike in this in this area. You need you need an organised one in the relationship, and unfortunately there isn't one. There is oh shit. I mean, listen, uh we I can relate. We so my husband and I I love him dearly and I don't think he'll mind me saying this because I've said it to his face. But I was like I, I remember I just had to say to him however long ago it was, about six months ago, it's like all I ever wanted was to marry someone who isn't complicated. And you are so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically you don't always get what you think you're getting. Because yeah. it's a it's a process that evolves. It evolves with uh, getting to know each other. And actually, don't you think the truth is that the heart of it all, we're all kind of a mess in some way. Yeah, I, 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 I've I've yet to meet a person who is, you know, as polished on the inside as they are on the outside. And all these exactly. people you think are totally with it, the more you get to know them, you're like, oh my god, you're you're just as much of a mess as the rest of us, actually. Yes, exactly. Um, I thought that when I went to university, actually, because um, you know, when I when I, I went to Cambridge, and um, mm. as I sort of talk about in my book, which I'm 
we talk about, but um, come from a very working class background, there's always this sense of, you know, are you going to fit in? And one of the things, I'd never met anyone who'd been to private school before. So I had this sort of picture in my mind about what someone who went to private school was like. And part of that was like just assuming that, you know, because they're from wealthier backgrounds that, you know, they, they've had everything and therefore will be absolutely fine and will not have any worries or anxieties. And you realise that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is. Everyone has a degree of, you know, anxiety about whether they're doing life right. And, you know, mm. that all, all of the insecurities that, you know, people that I grew up with had, you know, I could see in them as well. And I think, I just don't think, I don't think there's anyone in this world that, kind of just glides through life without any worries or anxieties. I think we all we all go through it. And I think um, it's a good thing for people to talk about about that more often because I think one of the things that, particularly in the age of social media, and I mean, I love Instagram because it's a much nicer platform to be on than most of the social media platforms I inhabit as an MP. Mm. Um, but, you know, the danger of Instagram is that everyone puts the, their sort of perfect version of themselves or sometimes even a, a false version of themselves online. Yeah. And I think that adds to people's anxieties because they see these perfect people live, living perfect lives and they think, oh, I haven't got that. And you have to just always bear in mind that you are seeing, you know, you, you may not be seeing a real version of someone, but you are certainly seeing the best version of someone. And so don't assume that that, that behind that lovely smile and sunny backdrop and fit like the, that filtered photo that everything is going fine. I know. And it's funny. I don't know if you feel that you found this with your friends, but I have just noticed that because Instagram has changed such as so much as a place, you know, like it did used to be just us sharing our photos with the 1970s filter on it. And now it's like, you know, people dancing while pointing at corners of the screen while words pop up. I mean, it couldn't be more different, you know. Yeah. That like so many people have actually just dropped off and don't post anything anymore. Um because, you know, I get it, everyone's on TikTok or something. But um it's like I don't know, it's a real tangle because I don't want to be part of like I don't want to post a picture and make anyone feel shit ever. You know what I mean? Like and it's like fundamentally that is gonna happen. So it's yeah. like well why am I doing it? You know, but you have to be honest. And I think as I segue to your book, uh, you know, <laughs> talking about your book, because I do actually think you reminded me of one of the lovely themes because the, the title under the title is a memoir of growing up and getting on. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's, is um, such a lovely title. And I think, I think the book is so wonderful. And oh, thank you. you. Know, not at all. Thank you so much for writing it. And, it, and it's, it's, it's really brilliant. And I think it, one of the things I love about it is um, exactly what you just said, is that you go into those big institutions like places like Cambridge and there's lots of private school kids there and you think you're entering a world where things are better or people know more. And actually, it's not that. It's just people who've been told that they're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, or have been told this is for them. And to be, I remember you said this lovely thing. It wasn't, um, uh, I don't know when it was, but you said that when you went to Cambridge, they were talking about changing the menu of food when people arrived. And yeah, said, yeah, um, yeah. Don't don't do it. Um, I was uh, yeah. Well, this was this was a few years ago. I went back as an alumnus, and I was talking to the current master of the college. Um, I was at Selwyn College. I was talking to the master Roger Mosey, and he was 
talking very thoughtfully about how you make sure that kids from working class backgrounds feel welcome when they arrive and don't feel, um, I guess, uh, overwhelmed by the unfamiliar. And they were thinking about the menu, for example, and, you know, whether or not you should have things like, you know, squid or octopus on the menu and um, things that may be unfamiliar to, to kids from backgrounds like mine. And I said, you know, well, fair enough for a sort of a fresher's meal. That's a thoughtful thing to do. So, but don't change too much because, you know, these students are going to, they're going to, you know, they're probably going to go and encounter these sorts of things in a professional context, depending on what their careers are in the future. And part of the education and part of the experience is being able to um, not just adapt and survive but to thrive in unfamiliar surroundings and so I felt I feel very strongly about I mean I, to be honest when I went to Cambridge I, I kind of reveled in all the Harry Potter stuff of like mm. gowns and formal halls I just thought the whole thing was absurd but fun um, yeah. I mean who doesn't love dressing up so um, yeah. but yeah I can see why some for some people they'll go and think like oh god this isn't me at all and that's absolutely fine as well but mm. I think sometimes life is is about being able to adapt and um and to cope in in different environments with different people and different challenges different contexts yeah and it's interesting to see that you are um forever a bit of a pragmatist about all those things you know i, I sort of love that about you but not a lot of people are you know a lot of people have probably a slightly more um emotional reaction to those kind of things Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. One of the things that people sort of say about you, and I suppose is what a lot of the book is about, you weren't the sort of kid who was meant to end up at Cambridge, right? Tell us a bit about growing up and what your childhood was like, because it's such an amazing story. Yeah, so, um, I mean, first of all, I was an accident, um, I think is the technical term. I was very much unplanned. My My parents were 16 and 17 Mm. I think when I was conceived, um, is that right? Or yeah, probably, uh, or maybe 17 and 18. I was certainly, um, my mum was 18 when I was born. My dad was 17. So that probably just about makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, 
first serious relationship for either of them, like most relationships of people that age, probably not going to last. But mm. my mum fell pregnant and, you know, teenage pregnancies weren't unheard of in my family or in the East End at that time in the 1980s. Um, but there was a general expectation that my mum would would not go through with it. And the reason why the, the book is called One Boy, Two Bills and a Fry Up is, you know, I'm the one boy. The two bills are my grandparents, Bill Streeting on my dad's side, Bill Crowley on my mum's side. We'll talk about those characters in a minute. We're getting and on then, to them. We're getting and, on to your grandma is actually where we're headed. But yes. And then and then and then there's the fry up. And it was I, I enjoyed the reaction to the title when when I first announced it. Because I think people just thought the sort of fry up was a sort of bit of a cliche affectation of like, oh yeah, I'm from the East End and like I've put fry up in the title. Actually, it was a fry up that saved my life because my mum was booked in to have an abortion and she basically decided she wasn't gonna go through with it. And so you know, right at the beginning of the book, um, it sort of opens with my mum basically cooking herself a full English breakfast on the day of the termination so that she literally couldn't go through with it. She's not allowed to eat before the procedure. And my nan hit the roof. Um, my dad was in shock, really did not want to be a father at that age, which I don't blame him for for a second. Um, I think it was only when I got to his age. I remember saying to my dad when I was sort of about 17, 18, I, I, it's just dawned on me that, uh, you know, I'm now at the age that you were when I was born, and I find that terrifying. Mm. So it was, it was a big sort of shock in the family that my mum was going through with it, um, but she did, and and you know, I'm pretty obviously really grateful because I'm here. But also, <laughs> I just always think like what courage she went through to basically say to her mum, to my dad, to everyone who said this is a bad idea. Um, you know, she's going through with it, and. You know, we we come from a really poor family um, in the East End, um, so it was also a very big challenge for my mum and a challenge for us growing up. Um, I lived with my mum for the first sort of 11, 12 years of my life before I went to live with my dad, um, who's always been there for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was, it was tough growing up, and I sort of describe lots of that in the book. Um, the financial struggles... The places we live not being particularly nice, having issues with, I mean, one flat we lived in, having issues with cockroaches, um, have, certainly having issues where, and I think this is very uh, relevant for lots of families today, sadly, you know, the electric meter runs out, the electricity cuts off, but the money's run out too. So yeah, a lot of struggles growing up. And, you know, for that reason, it's, very unusual for someone from my background to end up at Cambridge, let alone end up as a member of Parliament. And, you know, I, I hope I hope when people read the book, um, you know, the thing that they will um, enjoy, because it's not a misery memoir and it's not a, oh, poor, poor old me, get your violins out. Oh, let's all have a good cry. Oh, my life was so hard. Um, it, it's... You know, I, I did grow up in a poor family, but a loving family. An incredible cast of characters and stories, um, which I talk about in the book. And it is, I mean, the thing, the reason I'm really nervous about the book at the moment is partly the usual author's anxieties. Will it get good reviews? Will it sell? Um, but also it is extremely honest and raw. And these are not just my stories. They're my family's stories told with their permission, I should had but they are very raw stories and so it's you know if you write fiction 
or if you write about someone else's story, you know, you're, you, you hope people will like the characters, you hope people will enjoy the writing, you hope people will buy it. But in this case, these are very real characters, many of them still alive. And, you know, my character is in there too. So, I, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, I'm at the nerve-wracking stage just before the book's about to come out. So I'm absolutely terrified. And the first, first serialisation appeared in the Sunday Mirror today as we're talking. So we'll see the reaction to that. And, um, yeah, but it's, it's been, been a labour of love. Open up Twitter with a hangover. That'll be nice. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, all anyone is looking for is someone being truthful if you weren't that, then you failed anyway. So, you know, and I think it's clear, it's really clear from the book how truthful you are, but also that what really strikes me or is, is the way you describe your childhood just then, a boy like you isn't meant to end up at Cambridge. I mean that in the sense that um, people like that are not given the opportunities. Yeah. And how are we doing with that? It, you know, it doesn't feel like it's massively improving and it takes someone to have certain certain situations and certain people in your life who help you get there because one of the things that really strikes me about your mum is that she, didn't she put a, sh- a book of shelves in your room? Yeah, so we, we, shelf of we, yeah, we, we had <laughs> we had a little bookshelf, and I, I just remember when I was growing up, it always it was always full of books, and we added to it as as I as I got older. Um, but I started I started life with you know I didn't even have a cot when I was born, um, mm. and for the first um, first few weeks I was sleeping in a drawer, um, but um, my, nothing, despite not having a cot. My mum had bought some Ladybird books and she felt very, very strongly that she didn't want me to grow up feeling stupid as she had been made to feel when she was growing up. My mum had a really hard time at school. She had a very hard time at at home, which I think led to um, trouble at school, as these things often do, as any teacher will tell you. And um, so she, she struggled at school. She wasn't on best behaviour quite disruptive and yet ironically given she's bright you know she she felt stupid left without any qualifications she just thought right well I'm gonna and she also and she also had this pressure I think from the family because you know as I describe in the book um there were lots of people in the family who just didn't think my mum would be a good mum um Mm. and um she she had grown up in a very toxic environment you know my grandparents had a very bad relationship my granddad was in and out of prison and when he was at home he could be quite abusive to my grandmother my grandmother in turn um i think it's hard for me to reconcile the sort of grandmother i knew loving caring warm the sort of relationship i saw with my nan and my mum which was to all intents and purposes a normal mother-daughter relationship and yet you know when my mum was growing up you know my nan would batter my mum uh, my mum had issues in turn with her own temper. And so people in the family were genuinely saying, oh, you know, that that poor child's going to end up being a battered child. So my mum had all of this sort of pressure from the family, first of all, not to have the baby, and then just thinking, you know, feeling very sort of judged. And so she was determined to prove that she would be a really good mum. And you know, I think I'd I'd argue that she 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 succeeded in that. Um, but as a result, she put a high premium on my reading when I was when I was a baby and when I was a kid. And it means that, you know, I, I unlike unlike today, where 
kids from my sort of background still arrive at school at the age of five, um, on average about a year and a half behind their peers from from more affluent backgrounds. You know, I arrived at school at the age of five, already a star reader, you know, by, according to my head teacher. So she was like sort of blown away by my reading mm-hmm. ability at the age of five. And I kept that right the way through primary and secondary school, that love of reading, which I got from my mum, supported by my granddad um, on my dad's mm-hmm. side of the family. And And there was a teacher who kind of singled you out a bit would that be right and you know, sort of saw that you had promise and helped you go to Westminster yeah, yeah I mean quite Westminster. yeah quite a few yeah, definitely not the Westminster I went to a school called Westminster City which was affectionately known by the private school kids at the Westminster school as shitty city uh, so but nonetheless I had this um I mean I I, I mean I've I talk about my teachers in the book a lot and in fact the the book is dedicated to parents, grandparents, step-parents, and then a number of teachers. Um, but I had this wonderful teacher at primary school called Mrs. Dodd. And she was terrifying for the kids because she, you know, she was a strict disciplinarian. She ran that school with an iron, you know, rod. Um, but it was obvious to me even back then, even though I would never want to get sent to her office for being in trouble, which I never was because I was very goody two-shoes. Um, she um, she loved the kids. She was... She was re- and, and I met with her recently, actually, for the first time in 30 years because I finally tracked her down with the help of the BBC. And, uh, you know, she and she said to me, you know, it was her... Her driving passion at that school, which was, you know, in the middle of the East End in in London's Docklands in Wapping. And it had a mix of kids. So half of us were sort of working class, either sort of white British or British Bangladeshi kids, very poor, very working class kids from the council estates. The other were the other half of the of the class were, um, you know, white kids from very middle class backgrounds who had sort of, you know, their parents were moving into the gentrifying bit of London's Docklands. And Mrs. Dodd's passion was to make sure that kids from the estates had the same opportunities as the kids from the the kind of gentrifying Docklands. And yeah, she really, really encouraged me, really supported me all the way through, gave me every opportunity, was constantly pushing me to do well, put me in for after school clubs and gave me the chance to learn cello and do all sorts of things that kids from you know, kids from Stepney wouldn't normally get the chance to do. Mm. Um, and she made a transformational difference to my life, as I think a number of teachers did at key key moments. It's incredible. And 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 what about being a young gay kid at that time? I mean, I know you weren't out, but... No, very much what not. What was the atmosphere? It was really hard, actually. I, you know, when I went to Westminster City, despite Mrs Dodd's sort of determination to get me out of Tower Hamlets, which had a terrible reputation at the time for schools very different to Tower Hamlets today. Um, she sent me up to Westminster City because it had a, historically a good reputation. But I think, to be honest, the school had been on the slide for a number of years. And it was an inner city all boys school. And it was tough. It was, I felt, unlike St Peter's, my primary school, which had been warm, friendly, inclusive, you know, there was really wasn't bullying. I mean, kids might occasionally fall out with each other, but just... Bullying wasn't a thing. Bullying was rife at Westminster City and homophobic bullying in particular. And I think it's a cruel irony, actually, 
looking back at some of the homophobic bullying that I was on the receiving end of, it seems kind of a cruel irony that other kids seemed to know I was gay before I did. And, uh, mm. you know, I think one of the... Cr- I mean, I talk about this in secondary schools now. Um, you know, one of the cruelties of childhood is that when kids hit those teenage years and you're changing, you know, you're growing up, your body's changing, you feel quite insecure, you don't know how your life's going to pan out, you've got all of these fears, insecurities, anxieties. Kids almost seem to prey on other people's anxieties, almost as a sort of distraction from their own. And, and, and you know, you think, well, what? I wonder what childhood would be like if teenagers actually supported each other. Um, you know, so I, I didn't come out until my second year at university. And there are a number of reasons for that, partly fear of other kids, partly fear of my parents and my family and how they would react, partly because, as I sort of described in the book, I went to a Church of England primary school, Christian secondary school. You know, I was a committed practising Christian. And so I had a real fear of God as well. And like, how's my how does this fit with my religion and I'm, am I going to go to hell? Um, which to non-religious people sounds crazy. Um, mm. And actually there are lots of LGBT people um, who, you know, now when I talk about, you know, being a Christian MP, a sad thing I find, and it's not just amongst LGBT people, I think it applies more generally, but often to, to gay people, it's sort of, you know, if you say you're religious, there's an instinctive fear of like, oh gosh, is this person therefore going to be homophobic or transphobic? Um, are they going to judge me? Because people associate, you know, religion with bigotry. And, mm. you know, you look at what's going on in Uganda at the moment with the laws they've recently passed there and, you know, other countries with a very strong, um, you know, religious base. Um you can understand why that is, and I find that very sad. But it was a big reason for me not coming out. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.